Alright guys, welcome to chapter 5 of Five Nights at Freddy's The Silver Eyes. This is chapter 5. When they got to the motel, Jessica was already there, and so was John. He stood up when Charlie walked in. I was worried about you. I thought maybe I could sleep on the floor. He waited nervously for her reaction, as though he had realized only upon seeing her that he might have overstepped her boundaries. On another day, in another place, Charlie might have been annoyed by his excessive concern, but here in Hurricane, she was glad to have it. We should all be together, she thought. It's safer. She wasn't really afraid, but Ani still clung to her like cobwebs, and John's presence had been calming one ever since they arrived. He was still looking at her, waiting for a response, and she smiled at him. As long as you don't mind sharing the floor with Jason, she said. He grinned. Ah, just let me have a pillow and I'll be fine. Marla tossed him one and he stretched elaborately, set it on the ground, and lay down. They all went to bed almost immediately. Charlie was exhausted. Now that her injury had been cleaned and bound, the adrenaline of the night left her body all at once, leaving her drained and a little shaky. She didn't even bother changing into pajamas. She just collapsed on the bed next to Jessica and was asleep in seconds. Charlie awoke just after dawn, when the sky was still pale and a little pink. She looked around the room. The others wouldn't be up for hours, she suspected, but she was too alert to try to fade back into sleep now. She grabbed her shoes, and stepping over Jason and John's sleeping bodies, went outside. The motel was a little way back off the road, trees spread thickly around and behind it. Charlie sat down on the curb to put her shoes on, wondering if she could go for a walk in the woods without getting too lost. The air was crisp, and she felt renewed and energized by the brief night's sleep. Her arm hurt, a dull and pulsing pain that kept drawing her attention, but thankfully it had not bled through the bandages. Charlie usually found it easy to ignore pain when she knew she was not in danger from it. The woods were inviting, and she decided to risk getting lost. She was about to stand when John sat down beside her. "'Morning,' he said. His clothes were rumpled from his night on the floor, and his hair was a mess. Charlie held back a laugh. What? he said. She shook her head. You look just a little like your old self today, she said, and he looked down at himself and shrugged. Uh, clothes don't make the man. What are you doing up so early? I don't know. Couldn't sleep. What about you? Somebody stepped on me. Charlie winced and with a laugh said sorry. I'm just kidding. I was already awake. I was gonna go for a walk, she said, pointing at the tree line. Out there, I don't know, somewhere. Do you want to come? Oh yeah, definitely. They headed into the woods, and John hung back for a moment and serotipitously tucked his shirt, trying to smooth out the wrinkles. Charlie pretended not to notice. There was no path, and so they made their way through the trees at random, glancing back now and then to be sure they could still make it out to the hotel parking lot. John stumbled over a fallen branch, and Charlie reached out with her good arm to catch him before he fell. Thanks. <laughs> You're strong, he said. Well, you caught me yesterday, so it's only fair that I catch you back. Now we're even, she said. She looked around. The motel was scarcely in sight, and she felt concealed, made safe by the wood. She could say anything here, and it would be all right. She leaned back against a tree, picking idly at the bark behind her. You know... You know Freddy's wasn't the first restaurant. She said it abruptly, surprising herself, and John looked at her quizzically, like he had not quite heard her. She didn't want to say it again, but she forced herself to. Freddy's. It wasn't my dad's first restaurant. There was a diner, a little one. It was before my mom had left. Oh, I had no idea, John said. Where, where was it? 
I don't know. It's one of those memories from when you're a little kid, you know, you only remember the things that are right around you. I remember the linoleum on the kitchen floor. It was this black and white diamond pattern, but I don't remember where the restaurant was or what it was called. Yeah, John said. We took a vacation to a theme park when I was like three, and all I remember is the back seat of the car. So where were they there? His voice dropped a little quieter when he said it almost reflexively. Charlie nodded. Yeah, there was a bear and a, a rabbit, I think. Sometimes the details get mixed up in my head. They're not like normal memories, you know, she said, needing him to understand the story's defects before she told him the rest. It's like, you know, when you have a realistic dream and in the morning you're not really sure if it happened or not. It's just impressions, little snatches of time. It's, she trailed off. She wasn't explaining it right. She was choosing all the wrong words. She was reaching back too far in her memory to a time when she did not yet even speak. It was a time when she did not have the words to name the things she saw, and so now, when she tried to recall them, the words could never be right. She looked at John. He was watching her patiently, waiting for her to go on. She wanted to tell him the story from her life that she had never told anyone. It was not even a story, though, not really, just something that nagged at the edge of her mind, something flashing by random in the corner of her eye. She's not entirely certain it was even real, and so she told no one. But she wanted to tell John because she wanted to speak it to another person. Because he looked at her with trusting eyes and she knew he would listen and believe her. Because he had cared for her a long time. Because he had caught her when she fell. And he had come here to sleep and keep watch all night. And thought a pragmatic, slightly cruel part of her. Because he was not part of her real life. She could tell him this, tell him anything. And when she returned home, it would be as though it never happened. She wanted suddenly to touch him, have confirmation that he was really there that this was not just another dream. She reached out her hand to him, and surprised but glad he took it. He stayed where he was, as if afraid that moving and closing would scare her away. They stayed that way for just a moment, and then she let go, and she told him the story the way she spoke it in her head, the memories of a small child mixing with the things she had come to understand as she grew older. There was another restaurant, rustic and small, with red checkered cloths on the table, In a kitchen you could see into the dining area, and they were all there together. Her father and her mother, and us. When Charlie was very, very young, she was never alone. There was Charlie, and there was a little boy. A little boy so close to Charlie that remembering him was like remembering a part of herself, and they were always together. She learned to say we before she learned to say I. They played together on the floor of the kitchen, sometimes drawing pictures while hiding under a hardwood table. She remembered the shuffling of feet and the shadows of customers walking by. Light was broken by a slowly turning fan and thrown across the floor in ribbons. She remembered the smell of an ashtray and the hearty laughter of adults lost in a good story while their children played. She very often would hear her father's laugh echoing from a distant corner as he talked with customers. When Charlie pictured him laughing like that now, it was with a little ache. A sucking feeling in the center of her chest because his eyes were bright and his smile was easy and because he wanted them all to be a part of the restaurant and to share his work freely because he was not yet afraid to let his children roam and explore. He was not yet touched by grief and so while he looked a little like the father she truly remembered he was not really the same man at all. Charlie looking down on the ground as she talked to the dirt and stones and cracked remains of leaves and her hand was at her back. Stripping bark from the tree. Does it hurt the tree, though? She thought and forced her hands away, knotting them in front of her. 
The restaurant was open until late at night, and so when they began to falter, Charlie and the little boy would crawl into the pantry with blankets and soft toys to sleep until it was time to close. She remembered using sacks of flour as pillows, big bags, almost as long as they were. They would snuggle down together and whisper words of nonsense that meant deep things only to the two of them, and Charlie would drift into sleep half listening to the warm sounds of the restaurant, the clanking of dishes, and the murmur of grown-up talk and the sound of the bear and the rabbit as they danced their chiming tunes. They loved the animals, the yellowish-brown bear and the matching rabbit who wandered the restaurant dancing and singing for the customers, sometimes just for Charlie and the little boy. They sometimes moved stiffly and mechanically and sometimes with fluid human movements, and while the boy liked the animals best when they acted like people, Charlie liked them the other way. Their stilted movements, their lifeless eyes, and their occasional glitches fascinated her because they acted alive, but they were not. The narrow yet bottomless chasm between those things, alive and not alive, enthralled her, though she would never be able to explain why. Well, I think, I think they were costumes, Charlie said now, still looking down at the ground, because the animals, they weren't always robots. The bear and the bunny, I think, were costumes, and sometimes people wore them, and sometimes my father put it into one of his robots, and you could always tell which it was by the way they danced. Charlie stopped. There was more, but she could not bring herself to speak. There was something else that made her lock down her mind and force the memory away. The part of her that made her unwilling to ask Aunt Jen for answers, because she was afraid of what those answers just might be. Charlie not dared to look at John the whole time she was talking, staring only at the ground, at her hands, at her sneakers. Now she did look at him, and he was wrapped seeming almost to be holding his breath. He waited, not wanting to speak until he was sure she was finished. That's, um, I mean, that's all I remember, she said at last, even though that was a lie. But wait, who was the little boy? John asked. Charlie shook her head, frustrated that he had not understood. He was mine, she said. I mean, he was my brother. We were the same. She was speaking childishly, as if the memory had taken hold of her, forcing her to regress. She cleared her throat. <clears throat> Sorry. She said, speaking more slowly, trying to choose her words with care. I think he was my twin brother. She saw John open his mouth, about to ask questions of what happened to him. But there must have been something in her face, something warning, because he held it back and said instead, Do you, do you think that place was around here? I mean, I guess it could have been anywhere, another state even. I don't know. Charlie said, slowly looking over his shoulders, then up at the trees. I mean, this all feels the same. It feels like I could walk around any corner and it would be there. <sighs> her voice began to break. I want to find it. She added suddenly, and as soon as she said it, it was what she wanted to do. Well, what, what more do you remember about it? John said, almost lunging forward like an eager dog on a lead. He must have been dying to go look for, looking for them from the moment she mentioned the place. Charlie smiled but shook her head. I really don't remember much. I don't know how much help I can actually be. Like I said, the things I remember, they're just scraps. They're not really data or information. It's like a picture book. She closed her eyes, trying to see the place in her mind. The floor would shake. She lifted her head as if the thought became clear. Maybe a train. She asked as though John would know. I remember this thunderous sound every day. It was the biggest sound I'd ever heard. And I don't mean loud, I mean you could feel it in your whole body like a rumbling right through your chest. Well, then it must have been close to the tracks, John said. Yeah, 
Charlie said with a spark of hope. There was a tree out front. It looked like an old angry monster, hunched forward and wizened, with two giant gnarled branches reaching out like arms. Whenever we left for the night, I would hide my face in my father's shirt so I wouldn't see it as we walked by. What else? John said. Were there stores or other restaurants nearby? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I'm sorry. It's, it's gone. It's not enough, John said a little frustrated. It could be anywhere. I mean, a tree, a train. There must be something else you can remember. Anything? No, Charlie said, and the more she pushed herself to remember, the harder it got. She was grasping blindly, and it was like trying to get a hold of living creatures, as if the memories saw her coming and slipped away. She tossed out fragments as she managed to catch them, the tablecloths, red and white checkered, made of real cloth, not plastic. She remembered grabbing one unsteady on her feet, and the whole table setting, falling down on top of her. Plates, glasses shattering around her, she covered her head. Charlotte, are you okay? Her father's voice seemed clearer than ever. There's a squeaky floorboard in the corner of the diner that Charlie liked to push on, making it sing. There's a picnic table out back where they used to sit in the sun, one leg of it sinking in the soft ground. There was the song her parents used to sing when they were in the car whenever they came from a trip. They would burst into it when they were a little way from home, and then they'd start laughing as if they had done something clever. That's <sighs> nothing helpful, Charlie said, just kid stuff. She felt a little lighthearted. She had spent so many years avoiding these memories, and her mind shied away from it as if it were snakes. Having done it, she felt strange and a little guilty, like she had done something wrong. But she also felt something that might have been joy, and the thing she never allowed herself to think of. The memories of that time were unsafe. There were traps and snares wrought into their very substance. But there was precious things among them. I'm sorry, she said. I, I really can't remember anymore. No, that's really impressive. I can't believe you remember that far back at all. John said, I don't, I didn't mean to push you. He added a little sheepishly, then looked thoughtful. What was the song? I think it was the same one they danced to at Freddy's. No, the one your parents sang in the car. Oh, I don't know if I remember it. It wasn't really a song, you know, it was just a little line. She closed her eyes, picturing the car, trying to envision the backs of her parents' heads as though she were still in the back seat. She waited, trusting her mind to give it up, and after a moment it did. She hummed it, just six notes. We're back in harmony, she sang, and they'd, you know, harmonize, she added, embarrassed by her parents even now. John's expressions was blank for a moment, as the words at first seemed meaningless, but then his eyes lit with promise. Charlie, there's a town north of here called New Harmony. What? was all she said for a moment. She listened to the words in her head, wanting them to set off an inspiration to trip a memory, but they didn't. I feel like that should ring a bell, but it doesn't. Sorry, I mean, it doesn't sound wrong, but it doesn't sound right, either. She was disappointed, but John still had that thoughtful look on his face. <laughs> Come on, he said, extending his hand. Charlie wiped her cheek and took a shaky breath, then looked at him. She nodded with an exhausted smile and got to her feet. We're going to take a brief break there for an ad, and then we'll be back with the second half of Chapter 5. I think we should wait for everyone to wake up, John said as they emerged into the parking lot after a brisk walk back. No, Charlie said with unexpected vehemence. I don't, I don't want everybody here for this, she added in a softer tone. Just the thought of the whole group going along made her anxious. It was too risky, too private. She had no idea what they might find or what it might do to her, and she couldn't abide the thought of making those discoveries with an audience. 
All right, John said. Just us, then. Yeah, just us. Charlie went inside and grabbed her car keys, moving slowly as to not disturb the others. As she was heading back to the door, Jason stirred and opened his eyes, looking up at her like he wasn't quite sure who she was. She put a finger to her lips. He nodded sleepily and closed his eyes, and she hurried out the door. She tossed the keys to John and got into the passenger side. There's a map in here, she said, jostling open the glove box. The map fell out amid a pile of hand warmers and emergency food rations. <laughs> Your aunt, huh? John smiled. Charlie held the map just a few inches from her face. New Harmony was close, only about a half an hour away. Think you can navigate it? He asked. I, Captain, Charlie said, turn left out of the lot. <laughs> Thanks, he said. They drove back through the town and out the other side, the houses further and further between as they went. Each one stood solitary, connected only by sagging power lines. Charlie watched the telephone poles and the dipping wires repeating hypnotically as if they would go on forever, then blinked, breaking the spell. Ahead of them, the mountains rose up ancient and dark against the clear blue sky. They looked more solid than anything else around them, more real. Maybe they were. They had been here, watching long before the houses, long before the roads, and they'd be here long after they were all gone. Oh, it's such a nice day out, John said, and she looked at him, tearing her gaze from the view. Yeah, you know, I kind of forgot how beautiful it is out here. Yeah, he agreed. He was quiet for a moment, then looked at her sideways, and Charlie couldn't tell if he was being shy or just keeping his eyes on the road. You know, it's weird, he said at last. When I was a kid, the mountains kind of scared me, especially when we were driving in the dark. I always thought they were like monster beasts looming over us. He laughed a little, but Charlie did not. Uh, I know what you mean, she said, then grinned at him. I think they're pretty much just mountains, though. Hey, she said suddenly. You never told me what your story was about. My story? He flicked his eyes at her again, a little nervous. Yeah, you said you got a story published. What's it about? Oh, I mean, it's just a little magazine. He was reluctant, and Charlie waited, and he finally continued. It, uh, it was called The Little Yellow House. It's about a boy. He's ten years old. His parents are fighting all the time, and he's afraid they're going to get divorced. They fight and fight, and he overhears them saying awful things to each other, and he hides in his room and with the door shut, but he can still hear them. So he starts looking out the window at the house across the street. They sort of keep their curtains open just enough that he can glimpse inside. He watches them go in and out of the house, this family, and he starts making up stories about them, imagining who they are, what they do. After a while, they start feeling more real to him than his own family. He glanced at Charlie again as if trying to gauge her reaction, and Charlie smiled and he went on. So, summer comes, and his family goes away for a week, and it's miserable. And when they get back, the family in the house across the street has moved away. There's nothing left, just a for sale sign hanging out in front. Charlie nodded, waiting for him to continue, but he looked at her a little sheepishly. Uh, that's the end. Oh, that's really sad, he shrugged. I guess. I'm working on something happy now, though. What's that? He grinned at her. Oh, that's a secret. Charlie smiled back. It felt good to be out here. Could it just be driving towards the horizon? She cranked the window down and put her arm into the air, enjoying the feel of the rushing wind. It's not the wind rushing, though. It's us, she thought. What about you? What about me? Charlie said, still happily playing against the wind. Oh, come on. What's the life of Charlie like these days? Charlie smiled and pulled her arm back into the car. 
I don't know, pretty boring. There was part of her that did not want to tell him for the same reason she wanted him with her now. She did not want her new life to mix with the old. But John had told her something real, something personal, and she felt like she owed him the same. It's alright, she said at last. My aunt's cool, even if she does sometimes look at me like she's not quite sure where I came from. Yeah, school's fine, I have friends and all that, but, you know, it feels so temporary. I have another year, but I feel like I'm already gone. Gone where? John asked. I wish I knew. College, I guess? I'm not sure what comes next. Well, nobody ever knows what comes next, I guess. Do you... He stopped himself, but she prodded him. Do I what? Do I ever think of you? He flushed, and she instantly regretted the words. I was gonna say, do you ever see your mom? He replied. Oh. No. I don't. It exhausted Charlie to think of her mother. And she thought her mother felt the same. Too much hung between them, not quite blame, because neither of them were to blame for what happened. But something similar. Their pain, individual, radiated off of them like an aura's, pushing at each other like magnets with the poles reversed, forcing them apart. Charlie, John was saying her name, and she looked over at him. Uh, sorry, I, I drifted off for a second. You got any music in this car? He asked, and she nodded, eagerly seizing the diversion. She bent over and picked up the cassettes scattered all over the floor and started reading labels. He made fun of her tapes, and she argued back after play some playful bickering, and then shoved a tape into the player and settled back again to stare out the window. I think this is where the map's usefulness ends, John gestured to the road ahead. This whole area is pretty much blank. I think what we're looking for isn't going to be on this map. He folded the map and tucked it neatly to the side of the seat, craning his neck out the window to see what they were passing. Yeah, Charlie said. It looked like they had returned to civilization. Single houses littered the fields. The dirt roads branched off in all directions. The landscape was mostly bushes and short trees. The whole area nestled between rows and rows of low-lying mountains. Charlie looked at Charlie. Charlie looked at John, hoping she would notice something that would point them in the right direction. Nothing, he said. Through her blank stare, had already given him the answer. No, she said. She didn't want to elaborate. The houses became fewer and more scattered, and the fields of dry bush seemed to stretch wider, giving the whole area a feeling of desertion. John found himself glancing over at Charlie's short intervals, waiting for a signal, half expecting her to tell him to stop and turn around, but Charlie just stared into the distance, her eyes fixed on nothing, resting her cheek on her hand. Eh, let's just go back, she said. We, we could have missed something, John said, and he slowed the car, looking for a spot to make a U-turn. We missed a lot back there. Maybe it's down one of those dirt roads. Charlie laughed. Oh, really? You think we missed a lot? <laughs> she grew thoughtful. Nah, none of this feels right. Nothing rings a bell. She felt a tear spill onto her cheek, and she swiped it away before John noticed. Okay, no worries, Charlie said abruptly, pulling herself back. Let's grab a bite, you know, just you and me. John smiled, still checking his mirrors for a place to turn. Charlie shivered, and something caught her eye. She almost jumped in her seat, sitting straight up. Stop! she screamed. John slammed on the brakes, and the car skidded, dust billowing up around the car. When they stopped, Charlie sat silently as John checked the rearview mirror again, his heart racing. Er, are you okay? he said, but Charlie was already out of the car. Hey! He called after her, scrambling out of his seatbelt and rushing to lock the car behind him. Charlie was running back towards the town, but her eyes were on the field beside the road. 
He caught up quickly, trotting alongside her without asking questions. After a few minutes, Charlie slowed and began shuffling her feet on the ground, peering down as though she had lost something small and valuable in the dirt. Charlie, John said. Until this moment, he had not thought about what it was they were doing. It was an adventure, a chance to be alone with Charlie to run off after a clue. But now she was starting to worry him. He brushed his hair back from his face. Charlie, he said again, his voice touched with concern, but Charlie did not look at him. She was intent on whatever she had found. Right here, she said. She made a sharp turn towards the edge of the road where something protruded and snaked across the ground. John knelt carefully, brushing some of the loose dirt with his hand and exposing a flat metal beam. It kept going. He uncovered a track that stretched across the road and went off into the field in both directions. It took him a moment to speak. It was as though the earth itself had tried to conceal it from them. Be careful. He thought with a minor pang of alarm, but he brushed that feeling aside. I, uh, I think we found the tracks, he said, looking up at Charlie, but she was nowhere in sight. Charlie? He took a quick look up and down the road, but there were no cars. Charlie! He called out, waving the dust away from his face and racing to catch up. When he reached her, he hung back a little, afraid to disturb her intense focus. There was a cluster of trees up ahead, gathered together as though around a campfire. Tall and short or thick and scraggly, Charlie drug her foot along the tracks as she walked, as if it might vanish if she ceased to touch them. What is that? Is it an old station? John asked, squinting and blocking the sun with his hand. There was a long building nestled in the trees, its color blending in with the small grove, making it difficult to spot. The tracks veered away, heading off towards the mountains, and Charlie stopped dragging her foot along them, letting them go. John finally caught up, and they were walked along the dry grass together towards the grove of trees, not far away now. There has to be a road. Charlie strayed almost randomly, heading away from the building, and John hesitated. But, but, he gestured towards the building, but then followed her, looking back to make sure he would know the way back to the car. Before long, the ground leveled out beneath their feet. Old pavement, broken with weeds and mounds of crumbling rocks, stretched across the field in a narrow, almost hidden path, leading once again towards the small building. This is it, Charlie said softly. John approached her carefully, then stood at her side. They walked the road together, dodging around the pillars of grass that shot up from the brakes and holes. The tree was there, the one with the reaching arms and ghastly face, but it was no longer frightening, not as Charlie remembered it. It must have already been dead when she was a child, she realized. Its limbs had fallen off, leaving jagged holes where they'd been, and they lay where they fell, rotting into the ground. The tree seemed a little frail and weak, a shade of its former self, only recognizable by the stumps and bulges on its side that had made its face. But now even the face looked tired. The building itself was long and dilapidated. It was a single story with a dark roof and weather-beaten walls. The place that had once been painted red, but time and sun and rain had worn out over the paint. It was peeled and curling. Whole long strips of it were gone and the wood beneath it was showing, dark with what might have been rot. Its foundation was overgrown with tall grass, and Charlie thought it looked as if they were sinking, as though the whole structure was slowly being swallowed. Charlie grabbed John's arm as they neared it, then let it go, and straightened her back. She felt as though she was preparing for a fight as if the building itself might attack if it sensed any weakness. Charlie went warily up the few steps to the door, sticking to the edges and testing the wood before she let down her full weight. 
The stairs held, but they were soft, splintered patches in the middle that she didn't want to try. John didn't follow her right away, sidetracked by something nearly hidden in the grass. Charlie? He held up a battered metal sign with the words painted, Fred Bear's Family Diner, in its red script. Charlie gave a gentle smile. Of course this is it. I'm home. John came up the stairs behind her and set the sign down carefully by the door, and they went inside. The door swung open easily, light streamed in through the windows on all sides, revealing emptiness and decay. Unlike Freddy's, this place had been cleaned out. The wooden floors seemed intact, but they were warped from weather. Sunlight was streaming in, unobstructed, and went where it was, wanted with furniture or people to block its path. Charlie looked up at the ceiling fan, and it was still there, but one of its blades was missing. There were double doors to the right with circular windows, unlike the dining area, which was breached with sunlight and the sounds of the outside. The room behind the double doors was pitch black. John was more interested in this than Charlie, and he carefully peered into one of the windows, obviously tempting to nudge it open and see what was inside. Charlie left him to his curiosity and walked further into the dining room, which she only knew was the dining room through memory. Now it was vacant and lonely, stretching long and narrow at least fifty feet, growing darker as it went. There was a slightly elevated stage at the end of the room, and Charlie realized as she looked around that the place had probably once been a dance hall, and the long desk by the entrance that her parents had used for cash register had probably been a bar. She went over to it and saw she was right. There was even grooves and scratches in the wood floor where bar stools had once dug their feet. She tried to picture it, a dark bar with a country-western band playing on the stage, but it didn't fit. When Charlie looked at the stage, she could still see two animatronic animals in shadow, moving in unnatural twists and turns. She could hear echoes of carnival music and distant laughter. She could still smell the cigarette smoke in the air. She hesitated before going further, as though the ghost she remembered might linger on the stage. She tried to catch a glimpse of where John was. He finally had the door to the kitchen half open and was sticking his head inside. Charlie turned her attention back to the stage and walked toward it, across the creaking floor. Even the smallest sound was deafening, accompanied by the faint whistles of the wind that slipped through the cracks in the windows and walls. The strips of wallpaper had peeled down and hung flat against the walls, inert until a breeze would lift them up and they wagged like thin fingers. Charlie stood at the base of the stage studying the floor carefully for traces of what might have stood there before. All that remained were holes where bolts had once been. The corners looked blackened with the shapes of coils and wires etched into the dirt and wood. Everything is gone. Her head jerked towards the corner to the right. There was another door. Of course there's another door. This is why you're here. She stood still, looking at the door, but now ready to touch it. She was grasped by the strange, illogical fear as though spiders and boogeymen might come rushing out. The door was ajar. Charlie looked back towards John again, hesitant to go on without him. As though he heard her calling to him, he leaned out of the kitchen door with a wide-eyed expression. <laughs> this is really creepy. He was obviously enjoying himself like a kid in a haunted house. Can you come with me? Charlie's plea came as a surprise to John, who seemed pleased but irritated at the same time having been enjoying his own adventure on the other side of the building. Yeah, yeah, two seconds, he promised, then disappeared again. She rolled her eyes, disappointed but not surprised that his childish curiosity took priority. 
She rested the back of her head, hand against the aged wooden door, and gently guided it open, bracing herself against whatever might be inside. Whatever she had been expecting, though, this wasn't it. It was a closet, the inside extending off to her left about eight or nine feet into darkness. And there was horizontal poles mounted along the walls where hangers had once been. Square shapes imprinted in the dust filled her mind with the images of boxes, maybe speakers? As she stepped inside, she pushed the door open all the way, trying to let in as much light as possible. As she walked further in, she let her hand drag along the wall, although nothing was there now, and she could feel heavy cloth, coats, and sweaters hanging. No, these were costumes. Costumes that hung there in the dark, hiding their colors, but allowing themselves to be felt by every cheek and small hand that passed through. Rubber padded palms and fingers swayed this way and that. Reflections on false eyes passed overhead. Charlie reached the end and turned to look back. She crouched down, looking up at the empty space, but it didn't feel empty. She could still feel the costumes like they were hanging around her, like there was someone else in the closet with her, kneeling down at her own height. It was her friend, the little boy, my little brother. They were both playing and hiding together as they always did. This time was different. The little boy looked up towards the door suddenly, as though they'd been caught doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. Charlie looked up as well. There was a figure in the door. It looked like one of the costumes was standing on its own, but it was motionless, so still that Charlie wasn't sure what she was seeing. It was the rabbit, the yellowish-brown rabbit that they loved, but it did not dance or sing. It just stood there and stared at them on blinking. They began to squirm under its gaze, and the little boy screwed up his face to wail. Charlie pinched his arm, seized with an instinctual sense that they must not cry. The rabbit looked back and forth from one to the other with those all-too-human eyes, ponderous as though weighing and measuring them in some way that Charlie could not understand, like it was making a momentous decision. Charlie could see its eyes, its human eyes, and she was cold with terror. She felt the fear in her brother as well, felt it echoing between them, reverberating and growing because it was shared. They could not move, they could not scream, and finally the creature inside that patchwork, that raggedy yellow rabbit suit, reached out forward for the boy. There was a moment, one singular moment, when the children still clung together, gripping hands, but the rabbit snatched the boy to his breast, yanking them apart, and fled. From that moment, the entire memory shattered with piercing and unrelenting screams. Not her brother's, but her own. People rushed to help. Her father picked her up and held her, but nothing could console her. She screamed louder and louder. Charlie snapped back from her dream. The sound was high and painful in her ears. She was crouched down in silence. John stood at the door, not daring to interrupt. She did not remember much of what happened next. Everything was dark. It was all a blur of images and facts that she had pieced together. Things she might remember, maybe other things she could have imagined. She was never in the restaurant again. She knew her parents shuttered the doors immediately. Then they moved to the new house, and Charlie's mother left a little while after that. Charlie did not remember her saying goodbye, although she knew her mother must have. Her mother would not have just left without a goodbye, but it was just lost in the mist of time and grief like so much else. She remembered the first time she stood in the doorway of her father's workshop, the first day that they were alone and everything. It was the day he began to build her a mechanical toy, 
a little dog who tilted his head from side to side. And she smiled when she saw it was finished, and her father looked at her the way he would look at her for the rest of his life, as though he loved her more than life itself, and as though his love made him unbearably sad. She knew even then that something vital in him was broken, something that could never be repaired. Sometimes he seemed to look right through her, as if he couldn't see her even when she was standing right in front of him. Her father never spoke her brother's name again, and so Charlie learned not to speak it either, as though to speak it would send him back to the time and unravel them both. She woke in the mornings and looked for the little boy, having forgotten in her dreams that he was gone. When she turned to where he would be, and saw only her stuffed toy, she would cry, but she would not say his name. She was afraid to even think it, and she trained her mind to shrink from it until she truly forgot. But deep inside, she knew it. Sammy. A rumbling sound rose, loud and low, like a train passing, and Charlie started. A, a train? She looked around, her eyes wide. She was disoriented, not sure if she was still in the past or in the present. It's okay, I don't think it's anywhere near here, and it might just be a big truck. John took Charlie's arm and pulled her to her feet. Do you remember something? He whispered, and he was trying to catch her gaze, but she was focused elsewhere. Yeah, a lot. Charlie put her hand to her mouth, still staring into the darkness as if she could see the scene. John's hand on her arm was an anchor, and she clung fast to it. This is real. This is now. She thought, and she turned to him, seized by a fierce gratitude that he was still there with her. She buried her face into his chest as if his body could shield her from what she had seen, and she let herself cry. John hugged her tight, one hand on her head, cautiously stroking her hair. They stayed that way for long moments, and at last she calmed her breathing deep and even, and John loosened his grip on her, and as soon as she did, Charlie stepped back, suddenly very aware of how close they had been. John's hands were still suspended in midair from where Charlie had been. After a moment of shock, he lowered one and used the other to scratch his head. <clears throat> so, he hoped for an answer to fill the silence. A rabbit, Charlie said calmly, looking towards the doorway. A yellow rabbit. Her voice became graver as the image was still fresh in her mind. The one I saw the night Michael disappeared. The bear, I'm pretty sure he was yellow too. I thought you said he was like the others, Charlie said. I thought he was. When everybody said Freddy was brown that night when we first met up, I just thought I was remembering it wrong. I mean, I, you know, I didn't have a great memory back then. And, you know, I don't even remember what color my old house was. But then you said he was yellow too. Yeah, they were yellow. She nodded, and it was the answer he was expecting. I think it's connected. The animals from here and the one I saw at Freddy's. And the one that took my brother. Charlie thought, and she took a final look around the place. Uh, let's go back. I want to get out of here. Okay, John said. As they headed to the door, a small object caught Charlie's eye, and she snatched it up. It was a twisted piece of metal. And as John watched close by, she stretched it out and then let it snap back together with a loud crack like a whip. John jumped. What is that? He said, composing himself. I'm not sure, she said, but she slipped it into her pocket. John was watching her like there was something he wanted to say. Oh, let's just go. They began to trek back to the car. Sammy, then years later, Michael, and the other kids, of course. It's connected. Charlie thought lightning might strike twice, but not murder. Can, can you drive again? She asked after a long period of silence. The only sound so far had been their shoes crunching through the dry grass. Yeah, no problem. 
John managed to get the car turned around in the constricted space, and Charlie had settled against the window, her eyes half-closed already. She watched the trees fly by outside her window and felt herself beginning to doze. The metal object in her pocket was digging into her leg, keeping her awake, and she repositioned it, thinking dreamily of the first time she saw one of these things. She was sitting with Sammy in the restaurant before it had opened for the day, and they were under a window in a dusty beam of light, playing some invented game she could no longer remember, and their father came over grinning. He had something to show them. He held up a piece of twisted metal and showed them how it opened and then let it snap back into his hand. They both cried out in surprise and then began giggling and clapping. Their father did it again. I could snap off your nose, <laughs> he said, and again they laughed, but quickly his face turned serious. I mean it, he said. This is a spring lock, and I want you to know how it works because it is very dangerous, and I don't want you touching these. This is why we never put our hands in the animal costumes. It is very easy to trigger these if you don't know what you're doing and you could get hurt. It's like touching the stove. Do we ever touch the stove? They shook their heads with solemnity beyond their ears. Good, because I want you both to grow up with all of your noses. <laughs> he cried and he swept them up, one in each arm, swinging them around as they laughed. Suddenly there was a loud snap. Charlie jolted out of sleep. What was that? What was what? John said. The car was off. Charlie looked around. They were back at the motel. Charlie took a moment to reorient herself, then gave a reluctant smile. Ah, thanks for driving. What were you dreaming about? You looked happy? Charlie shook her head. I, uh, I don't remember. That is the end of Chapter 5 of Five Nights at Freddy's The Silver Eyes. Thank you for tuning in.